The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, making progress here. Gone from no live shows to live shows from home, which Dave just described as me sounding like Radar O'Reilly yelling into the tin can Korean War microphone to actual live show here in the studio with real... Iran era mics, I guess. <laughs> newer, newer than the ones I was I was using at home, clearly. And uh, it is the last the last Wednesday of July, which makes it both wow, where did the last four months go? But also question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. This is the week where. Whatever questions you have, you can call in with. Ah, we can do that again. <laughs> I've forgotten the phone number, but uh, you can call in with at 877-772-9658. Or you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Doesn't matter what the topic is, as long as it is related to real estate investing. I would suggest that if you uh, have a question that you really want answered on today's show, that you call it in uh, at 877-772-9658 because the calls do get the first priority. And I sent out a, an admittedly rather desperate email this morning to my list saying, hey, I'm doing my first live show and I don't have questions saved up like I usually do. So please send me questions. And I probably have a dozen of them sitting here in my email box so thanks thanks for the pity questions everybody i really really appreciate those they're just as good as regular questions but again if you have one that you really want to make sure gets answered uh, give us a call live here in the studio at 877-772-9658 and in the meantime I'm just going to go ahead and tackle these other questions in the order in which they came in, starting about uh, 12 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, so here is a question from Sean. Sean says, when I listened to your Wholesaling in a Slow Market webinar in January, <laughs> boy, <laughs> I'm like prescient. This, that, that was in January. Uh, I remember you said that the ideal cash buyer was, and please correct me if I'm wrong, one who has purchased five properties in the past two years. So, Sean, I think you heard me a little bit wrong there, or maybe you're mixing me up with somebody else, because 
Um, I don't care how many properties somebody has bought in the last two years to be an ideal cash buyer. I just want them to be experienced. I know, who cares if they got the cash? Well, I care because my uh, many years of experience in wholesaling many, many properties tells me that people who are more experienced buyers have a much easier time making a decision. They have a much easier time sticking with that decision. And they have a much easier time actually making the deal work like it should. Back in the day, when I didn't have that restriction to my buyers list where I said, look, you, you gotta have done some deals or I, I, you know, I really don't want to sell you your first property. I had a number of experiences that I could regale you with for the next entire hour that involved people um, buying their first property that was a fairly straightforward rehab. And of course, we when we offered it to them, we said, you know, it should cost about this much money to renovate it, and then it should be worth about this much fixed up. And here's the major things that need to be done. And then these folks would go into the rehabs and completely lose control of them. Uh, you know, pay contractors up front $10,000 and then the contractors disappeared without doing any work. Um, doing work that no experienced rehabber would do. I remember there was one guy who re-drywalled an entire, the entire inside of a house built in about 1890 because it had cracks in the plaster. I mean, do you seriously think that people buying a house built in 1890 expect the walls to be absolutely perfect. And uh, in the process of doing that, which of course also required pulling off the trim, recutting it, putting it back on, reframing the doors, um, taping, repainting, um, moving the radiators in order to do all of this. Uh, he ran out of money to do the thing that we did say needed to be done, which was put in central air. And then he put the property on the market in the summertime and then was angry because it was not selling with no central air in the summertime. And he had no more money to put in central air because he'd spent his central air money re-drywalling the inside of the house built in 1890. So I... I'm I'm all for new investors. I mean, I spend I spend a lot of time trying to teach new investors how to do things right, but in terms of my buyers list, I want people who are they're going to be able to make the deals make money. And the other thing that I like about more experienced investors is they are multiple-time buyers. If you give me the choice between a new buyer who's never done a deal and a new buyer who's done 30 deals and they're and the and the new buyer's offering the newbie's offering $5,000 more, I'm probably still going to sell the property to the guy who's done 30 deals because I know he's going to also buy, you know, 10 more properties from me and I don't know that about the new investor. So it's not about how many properties they bought in the last 2 years, it's just about how much experience they have overall. If they bought five properties over the last 10 years, that's experienced enough for me. So uh, Sean's actual question, he said, <laughs> you said correct me if I'm wrong, and I did. Uh, is that still the standard now when building a cash buyer's list? Yes, even more so now. Even more so now that 
hard money is more difficult to get and is generally requiring more money up front and a higher level of qualification in terms of credit scores and experience levels. I I don't want to I don't want to agree to sell somebody a property and then have them come back to me and say, "Well, I couldn't get my hard money loan cuz I thought I only needed 15% down and now they're telling me I need 25% down." Uh, my second question is, what information source, sources can I use to find cash buyers to fit the criteria I'm looking for? Well, so your best resource is always your local real estate association. Um, I know that I said that and now you're thinking, well, how am I going to do that? My local real estate association isn't meeting. I know it's it's a challenge, but um, it may be meeting via Zoom. And you can always, you know, be in the chat saying, hey, I'm looking for some experienced buyers. Tell me what you want. I want to push on my buyers list. Um, you can't really go out and meet people right now. And that's, that's sort of the that's sort of the um, the thing that helps you build your buyers list is, is, is actually getting in front of these people and talking to them. And making an impression on them and asking them what they want and what you can do for them. Uh, my third and last question is, what types of properties are most possible with cash buyers in the COVID-19 era? Is it still the standard 1,200 square foot, three bedroom, two bath, or has COVID-19 changed it to something else? Uh, well, actually, Sean, that has never been the ideal property for buyers. That has been the ideal property for retailers. Three to four bedrooms, two baths two-car garage, good school system, all of that sort of stuff, that those those are buyers who intend to fix and resell the property, and it's still the same property for those buyers. But you know, there's another kind of buyer out there, and that's a landlord. And landlords are looking for anything from two to six bedrooms. They don't necessarily need it to have two baths, although that is ideal. Uh, they, they'll look in neighborhoods that aren't like best neighborhoods on the planet. I mean, really, ideally, the retailers want the best neighborhoods on the planet. So don't don't conflate what you learned about retailing properties with what you know about wholesaling properties. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of different kinds of buyers out there. And the bottom line is there is a buyer for just about every deal as long as the price is right, meaning that it gives them an appropriate profit, whether that's cash flow or cash uh, for the time, money, and effort that they have to put into the property. So thank you for your question, Sean. We're going to take a quick break. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Got a question? You can call it in at 877-772-9658 and be live on the air with me. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, live here in the studio today, July 29th, 2020. I always have to say that because folks listen to the podcast that's at realliferealestate.com, and then they try and call the station to ask questions because they're missing that, yeah, you hear me giving out phone numbers and whatnot, but that was, you know, maybe days or weeks ago. And then Dave like records the voicemail and sends it to me. And I guess I've got a question for the next time. But uh, yeah, if you're listening to us on realliferealestate.com, just sit down and relax because the show's over. 
there will be another question and answer week on the last Wednesday of whatever the next month is that where you're listening to it. 877-772-9658 is the number to call. I'm excited to uh, be here live in the studio today and to get a chance to answer some of the many, many questions that have piled up in my inbox here. Uh, here's one from Sharon. Very common question that I seem to be answering a lot lately. During your discussion tonight, this is a discussion, Mike, you're not talking. It's supposed to be a discussion. During your monologue tonight is what she meant to say. Would you please provide your thoughts on where the market is headed? What should we prepare for six to 12 months from now? Well, isn't that an interesting question? Um, so my humble opinion is that we will eventually see the same effects from this recession that we have seen from every other recession at least in my real estate investing career, which is um, lots more inventory on the market, lots more uh, foreclosure inventory, lots more, lot, lots less uh, interest by people in running out and acquiring a big investment like real estate, by which I mean homeowners not looking necessarily to buy houses. Th I just don't see how we avoid that. I, you know, we've got, what, 10% of Americans are out of work right now. 5.5% um, of all the mortgages in the United States are in default at the moment, which is, and it's like 7.9% for FHA and VA. And those are, I mean, you may not know how to compare those numbers to like a background level, but those are like, uh, those are like starting, 7.9% is reaching great recession sorts of numbers. The foreclosure moratoriums are in theory expiring in the next couple of days. Some states have extended theirs, although you'll see if that will hold up in court. I'm not sure how a state has the power to tell a federally charted, chartered institution that the contract that they made with another adult compass mentis human being is 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 now temporarily temporarily null and void because we said so and there's a lot of lawsuits being filed about that all over the country but uh e even if the moratoriums are the moratoria are continued it's just kicking the can down the road if you can't make four months worth of mortgage payments you can't make seven months worth of mortgage payments right and uh, FHA and Fannie Mae are working on some plans to do some s sort of strange things involving, uh, you know, we're not going to we're not going to forgive your payments and we're not going to add them to the back of the loan. What we're going to do is we're going to create a second mortgage that has no payments and no interest and that will be added to the back of the loan. And uh, you'll have to pay that off when you sell the property. But uh, that doesn't apply to you if you were in default in March, right? Before the state of emergency was declared, you don't get to take advantage of that. And you've got to qualify. And so I just, I see a lot more foreclosures and bank owned properties coming up on the market. That always depresses prices, as does increased supply and decreased demand. Now, do I see great recession level price drops, you know, 30, 40, 50%? Nah. Probably regular recessionary level price drops, which are eight, eight to 10%. The big wild card here, Sharon, is the government. The big wild card is 
for how long do extra unemployment benefits get extended? Do, do, do does the world get another stimulus check? Does Fannie do Fannie and Freddie and FHA continue to say no foreclosures on our mortgages? Um, does your state extend the foreclosure moratorium? Um, there's, uh, does the Fed keep interest rates at zero percent as they have said that they were going to do? going forward into the foreseeable future uh, because low interest rates will do a lot to overcome people's shyness about wanting to go out and buy a house when they're worried about their jobs. So we have kind of unprecedented governmental interference in this particular recession, and that could make everything I'm saying turn out not to be true. Um, My plan is keep doing what I'm doing keep buying properties that make sense based on the cash flow and whatnot and um, see what happens. And it doesn't matter if the market goes up or down. I'm I'm happy with it because I know how to deal with it because I've done it before. Thank you for your email, Sharon. Let's go to the phones. Let's talk to Mike from Columbus. Oh, we lost Mike. Mike, come on. It was like, it was like four minutes. You had to wait. You're so embarrassed. Patient, call me Mike. Eight seven 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 two nine six five eight is the number to call with questions in the studio. Uh, let's see. Um, got a got a question here from Ting Min Ting Ming Ting Ming. She signed it TMC. Uh, it says. Uh, I'm thinking about writing you, I've been thinking about writing you an email for quite a while. I completed your wholesale school, but I have to admit, I haven't sent many, much marketing out. It's me. However, what I did do is volunteer in a local brokerage during my time off. I was offering to help and learn from the broker. Before I returned to work, he was kind enough to sign me up with an unlicensed assist as an unlicensed assistant, as you suggested in class, so that I have board realtor access. In other words, I think she means MLS access. How can I take advantage of it by finding off-market deals, etc.? Well, you know, the bad news is having MLS access does not really get you access to off-market deals. It gets you access to on-market deals through a licensed agent, of course gives you the ability to kind of go in and just look around and see what's see what's available that looks good you're still going to have to get a licensee to make the appointment and show you the property the big advantage of having that unlicensed assistant designation which exists in a lot of states is the ability to run comps from the MLS to find sold properties and to um Use those comps, especially in areas where it is very difficult to get comparable sales from public record. I'm talking to you, Indiana. I'm talking to you, Texas. You non-disclosure states, you. Oh, also Northern Kentucky, which is not a non-disclosure state, but where the public records are, let's just say, not terribly complete and not all that accessible. Having MLS in those areas is a huge advantage if you're trying to run comps. The only kinds of off-market deals that would be available to you via 
MLS would be listings that had expired. And before you started marketing to those, I would talk very seriously to this broker who has given you the access and say, is this okay with you? And uh, by the way, if any of these folks respond and they have a deal, but it, I can't make it work because whatever, it's not my my area, it's not the right price. Uh, I definitely want to refer them to you. That might that might make him happy. So thank you for your email, TMC. Uh, question from Mike. Oh, this might have been Mike from Columbus because he's he left his phone number and it's a Columbus phone number. So maybe. Yeah, here, I'll just see your call up, Mike. Here says, let me just give you his number right here, right here on the air in front of everybody. It's 614. That'll teach you to hang up on me, Mike. Um, Mike says, I have a few questions. What is the best way to skip trace an owner of a given property? Uh, so, Mike, there are a number of uh, very reliable uh, skip tracing subscriptions and software that you can subscribe to. Uh, unfortunately, I can't really recommend one here because this is public radio and we don't say, hey, you really need to go buy such and so because that just is not how public radio works. But if you ask around, I assume you're a member of Cori, and if you ask around at one of the focus group meetings or the you know, the Friday morning exchange meeting, um, people will recommend to you their very favorite software. Before you go that route, you do know about, you do know about going to the Franklin County auditor site and just looking it up, right? Because the owner, if the owner doesn't live at the property, he's going to have a tax mailing address that hopefully will be his address and different than the property address. And from there, you can very often just enter, enter. if you know the name and address of the owner, you can often just enter it into Google and find the phone number, if that if it's the phone number that you are, in fact, looking for. I find probably in, in 40 to 50% of the cases, if I just keep looking at Google, I find that that guy used to own a business, and here was the number that he published, and sure enough, it's his cell phone number. Uh, and by the way, no skip tracing system is 100% guaranteed to always get you that correct phone number. Uh, I would say that probably I use a I use a readily available system that you can subscribe to. And I would say the the number, the phone number is probably wrong 25% of the time. And, and that's, they, I mean, they'll give you multiple phone numbers. They'll say, here's like 19 phone numbers that this person has had. And it turns out none of them work. Uh, second question, how can I get access to capital with only fair credit and less than perfect bookkeeping? Mike, can we talk about this less than perfect bookkeeping thing for a minute? Because I, I feel your pain, dude. The very first person I hired after I hired a personal assistant to just take care of like dry cleaning and, you know, picking up after me, <laughs> let's be honest. I hired a mom. Uh, and the very next person I hired after that was a bookkeeper because the skill set that it takes to be a good real estate investor who likes people and knows how to talk to them and is willing to, you know, do the scary thing of saying, listen, I know you want $125,000 for your $65,000 house, but 65 is what I can do. Um, 
and the set of skills that's required to be a great bookkeeper, two very different things. You may, you may never be a great bookkeeper or even an adequate bookkeeper, no matter how hard you try, because that might just not be in your skill set. Hopefully, you have a good bookkeeping system. You've bought some software that allows you to easily enter and find data. But beyond that, hire somebody to do the books because you need good books. And it's not just so that you can raise capital. It's so that you know how your business is performing. Oh, it's performing great. There's money in the bank. Uh, yeah, but do you have bills you're forgetting about, invoices you've forgotten to pay, people owe you money and you've forgotten to invoice them because you're not keeping your books right? Like you, you really don't know what your business looks like without that data. So uh, online bookkeepers are not that expensive and you probably only need one for like four hours a week. So why don't you hire that done and then we can get rid of that problem. The only fair credit thing, you said you've only got fair credit. Your fair credit does not really matter to the kind of lenders that you probably are going to want to be going after, which are uh, sellers right? Sellers carrying financing on their own properties, either through allowing you to take over their loans or through allowing you to make payments. And also private lenders who are looking for looking for investments with fixed rates of return that beat the practically zero fixed rates of return that they are able to get in the bond market, in CDs right now, in all of those sorts of things. Let me tell you a little secret, Mike Roberts. I've been paying private lenders 7 to 8% interest for 10 years. And in the last, uh, I don't know, five months, uh, I have multiple private lenders that are looking to invest their money at five and a half to six percent. In fact, I had a conversation this morning with one of my private lenders who I had been paying eight percent, who said, I want to lower the interest rate on these loans that I already have and that you're paying to seven and a half percent. And I said, why do you want to do that? And she said, because if I don't, you're going to refinance the properties and I'm going to get nothing which is not inaccurate given that the given that banks right now are charging something like four and a half percent if with 20 percent down etc so those are those are so these are the two things you want to go study up on in summary seller financing is category number one private lenders not hard money lenders private lenders is number two and that's how you're going to get your capital until you get that credit score up, which is another thing that maybe um, could use some focus. You listen to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. Our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. So, in the past four months, of course, I haven't been out doing seminars and speaking and whatnot. And something that I've noticed that has happened as a result of that is if I talk for more than about 30 minutes in a row, my voice starts to get strained. Can you can you hear that? Can you hear the voice strain? 
Yeah. <laughs> I see skies of blue. Um. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. My water might help. I just. I need more practice. I need to come in and do a show five days a week. That would. That would probably. That would probably fix it. <laughs> so, um, here is a question from Scott in Columbus. He says. Uh, probate information seems difficult to get just by going on the net. What is the best way to get these leads? Go visit the courthouse, buy a list. So, Scott, the experience you're having in Franklin County is not the experience that everybody listening to Real Life Real Estate from across the country would be having. There are some places where the information that you're looking for, which to be clear for those who don't understand what he's talking about, he's looking for situations where somebody has passed away and left one or more properties to heirs that might then be looking to sell them as is, right? Rather than go in and fix up grandma's house. And uh, he's looking for these as they come up. So these aren't inherited properties where, you know, grandma died, the um, property got passed on to her kids and grandchildren and now they own it that's an inherited property these are properties that would still be in the legal process you know the will's been submitted the will might say they often do don't give my kids this property because they'll just fight over it i didn't say that part that's me adding that part um don't give don't give my kids the property sell the property Mr. Executor, sell the property and split up the money amongst the kids because that's easier to divide. And also they won't they won't argue over it because just each of the five kids will get one fifth of it. That's how it'll work. Um, so probate leads are different than inherited leads. And in some places, the probate courts are actually very accessible online. You can you can just, you know, Google your local probate court or it's, in some places it's called like a surrogate court. And check out what's available. Uh, like the, the wills are sometimes posted in PDF. Like you can see who the executor is. Uh, Franklin County is not that way. Uh, the, the information exists, but you do have to go to the courthouse to go get it. What you cannot do in most places, you can't buy a list of probate properties. You can buy or probate situations. You can buy a list of inherited properties very easily. Just Google that. There's a lot of companies that sell that data. Uh, but I've only been to a couple of places where probate lists, as in these are actively in probate right now, were available for sale. And it's almost always because some dude goes down to the courthouse every week and rounds up all the files and then sells the information to local investors. So um, yeah, visit to the courthouse and or buy an inherited list and skip the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, and or, I don't know, rally the Hamilton, the uh, Franklin County Probate Court to get better online data. Up to you, whichever one of those you feel is within your mission statement. Okay, so this question is from Donna from New Jersey. Donna says, are you seeing a higher number of truly motivated sellers since COVID started? How are you dealing with sellers that don't want you to come into their home for safety reasons? Well, let me let me address the second question first. The sellers who don't want you in their houses for safety reasons are not 
typically calling. We have had very few sellers who have said, I want to sell my house, I want you to buy it, but you can't come into my house. I think they they mostly are not selling their houses if they're that afraid of strangers, because how are they going to move? Like they'll need movers in their house. They'll need to, you know, go find another house and be in other people's houses. So we're not seeing a ton of that. We've had a couple of sellers who have canceled appointments. And I mean, it's literally, literally, I think been two who made appointments and then canceled them because they, they became fearful about having people in the house. So that's not, that's not been a really big deal. Uh, the question about, is there a higher number of truly motivated sellers since COVID started? I'm going to say maybe, as you are probably aware, the number of properties on the market nationwide took a 30% dive in April and has stayed at that very low level and remember, we'd already gone through years of dropping inventory and then boom, 30% less than that, 30% less than last year. So people who are putting their houses on the market, who are putting them in MLS, if they're priced close to right, are selling them very, very quickly and for what they're looking to get. Um, I think what we're seeing, and I'm talking about me personally, not about like what everybody else is seeing, I'd like to know what everybody else is seeing, is more sellers who don't, they, they normally would have listed their house, but they don't want to do that because they don't want multiple strangers where they can't control the time and locate, you know, like like you put your house on the market, you just get this notification that says, hey, the realtor's showing the house at two o'clock and you're supposed to clear out and let people come through, right? And you, you can't see what they're doing, what they're touching. I think what we're seeing is sellers who normally would list the properties, but they don't want to go through having potentially a dozen people or couples come through their house and they just want to like, you know, just you come over. If we make a deal, I'll sell it to you. Right. And I'll be here so I can see what you're doing. I think the other factor that's coming into play in, in, in kind of my business is that we are hearing a lot of sellers say, I got a lot of marketing and I called several other people and you were the only one who called me back. Now there's always some background level of that. There's always, there's always uh, quote competitors end quote who don't, don't return calls or don't return them in a timely manner. But it seems like the number of the that kind of call has, I don't know, quadrupled or something. So I really want to thank my local competitors for not doing as much marketing and for not calling sellers back because it's been really, really good for my business. We've solved a lot of problems for a lot of sellers over the last four months, more so than probably the first four months of last year, certainly. So uh, I think there probably are more motivated sellers on the market. Oh, and there's another thing happening. <laughs> Get the chance to talk about all of this stuff. All of a sudden, Mike, I'm going to need two hours. I've been thinking all these thoughts in my head and I haven't been able to tell them to a radio audience. Um, I think a lot of people have used this time to deal with things that they had meant to deal with for a long time and didn't. We seem to be hearing from a lot of sellers who are saying it's way past time 
for me to have sold this property. It hasn't been performing for a long time. I haven't liked it for a long time. I inherited it. I inherited it a while ago, and I've just like not been doing anything about that, even though I don't live in it. And now I'm going to fix that problem. And I think it's a combination of you know they've got time on their hands, and also that they are. I mean, there's just like this generalized generalized anxiety out in the United States about, and it's not just about COVID, it's about what is coming next, right? Was Sharon's question, what's coming next? And I think when people are nervous about the economy, and I remember early on in this, we were hearing stuff about there might be a meat shortage and there might be, there was something about toilet paper. I don't remember what that was all about, but I remember people were all worried about that. And I think when, when, there's like a natural reaction to uh, gather up your resources around you. In other words, get cash, right? So people who, eh, you know, they've got properties that they just, they're not that happy with and they would rather have cash are, are more anxious to have that cash right now than they have been in past years. And there's just a lot of reevaluation going on, right? We're getting a lot of calls from sellers who are saying, yeah, we just need to downsize. Like, this is this is just too much house for us. And now that I guess we're stuck in it all the time, we've realized that it's too much house house for us. I think I think a lot of people have, now that they're not working, you know, 10 hours a day and sending their kids out to school 10 hours a day, they're realizing how much house there is to clean and how quickly it gets dirty again when everybody's at home all the time. So... Uh, I appreciate your question. Appreciate the opportunity to rant a little bit. Uh, it's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. We just have about eight minutes yet left, and I've still got a bunch of questions in my inbox, so I'm not going to make another call for questions. But you can always, always, always send questions to askbean at gmail.com with radio show question in the subject line, and we will always get around to it in a question and answer week. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And while I've got this microphone, um, if you are in the position that I think I talked about earlier, where you belong to a local real estate association, but it's not meeting, or it's meeting and it's not, I don't know, it's not it's not filling your need to be around excited people who are actively in the business. You can now join the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati from any place in the country. We have continued to meet um, multiple times a week, uh, two general meetings a month, plus 11 focus groups that talk about everything from wholesaling to note buying to the new tech focus group that only talks about things like what's the best system for skip tracing and what's the best system for comps and what's the best system for rental management, bookkeeping and all of those sorts of things. Um, with the new all online schedule, RIA has decided to open up its membership to anybody who's missing their RIA and wants some great education and great fellowship online, of course with other real estate investors and it's 25 bucks a month and you can quit anytime. Ah, you won't be able to quit. You'll become addicted. You might want to check into that because I think one of the greatest things that has happened out of COVID is Cincinnati RIA's Friday morning exchange meetings, which are a new thing 
for RIA, where folks get on the phone and they talk about uh, deals that they have and what they would like to have instead, whether that's money or a different property or a note or I'd, I'd like to get an RV for my piece of land, whatever the situation is, it is a really... It's a really interesting meeting because it's a bunch of people who are there to solve other people's real estate problems and get paid to do it. Um, unfortunately, that is a members-only meeting, but again, you can join Cincinnati RIA now from any place in the country. You can go to CincinnatiRIA.com and just click the membership button to find out more about that membership and all of the benefits of it. Uh, this question is from, well, it's from Connie and the, uh, the subject line made me chuckle because the subject line is stuck in Hazelcrest, Illinois. Hello, Connie from Hazelcrest, Illinois. She says, based on your years of experience, which area of investing would you advise, advise for new investors with no capital or experience? Purchased a couple of courses, one on wholesaling, one on note buying in the past, but I would appreciate your feedback. So, Connie, you would think that there would be a really simple answer to that question. The best strategy for new investors is to X. There is no such answer. Anybody who says, oh, the absolute best strategy for a new investor with no capital and no experience is to do this, is probably selling you a course on whatever their answer is. The reality is, I don't care what you want to be in. I don't care if your ideal property is a cash flowing rental or an apartment building or notes or wholesale deals or retail deals. All of those things can be done with no capital. And they can be done with no experience as long as you have some experienced people in your corner who can help you out when you get stuck, which you inevitably will. Just, just hey, we all get stuck. We all got stuck when we when we were first starting. And it doesn't have, you know, you, you need money, but it doesn't have to be your money. And you need knowledge, but it doesn't have to be your knowledge. It could be somebody else's. So whenever somebody asks me this question... And this is how it usually gets presented. I just have a really quick question for you. How do I get started? That's not a quick question. What I always say is, boy, boy I would need to know a lot more about you. Tell, you're, you're telling me what you don't have. You're saying I don't have capital. I don't have experience. You're not telling me what you do have. You're not telling me what you want. You're not telling me, like, what is the goal here? Are you, are you trying to build up some cash reserves? Are you trying to create some income that comes in every month because I can't tell you what's I can tell you every strategy that's out there will depending on your like personal resources and personality or not and so on work with other people's capital and experience but to tell you which one would be best for you I would need to ask you some more questions so I guess my recommendation to you would be to um Talk to some, like have a, have, a, have a lengthy conversation with a couple of experienced investors that you know and trust and just sort of tell them what it is you're looking to do and ask them what, which direction they would send you in terms of strategy and then how to, how to learn that strategy. Because again, the, the answer is it depends. Uh, let's see, what else? That is, we already answered that. I already answered that question. I'm using the royal we. 
Okay, so this question is from Olivia. Olivia says, I'm a member of Kori and a real estate investor. I've come up with some questions that we're looking to have answered. How would you recommend getting creative with financing when you do not have a W-2 job and don't yet have two years profit from your business? So you're looking forward to that day when the banks love you again, right? Because you have two plus years worth of tax returns to show them on your business. I got so successful in real estate that I quit my job and now the bank doesn't want me because I quit my job and they want to see two years worth of tax returns. Uh, so a couple of things. Um, first of all, even when you're back in the position where the bank is is super anxious to give you a loan, you're going to continue to get creative with financing. Because sometimes creative financing is what makes the deal work. Like, like, like if you had to, do, if you had to do the deal at the same price and go to the bank and pay your twenty percent down and your five percent worth of closing costs and go through the lengthy process of getting the loan and so on, um, the deal would not be a good deal. But it is because you were able to get in almost no money down and take over somebody else's loan. Seller financing, far and away my favorite way to get, quote, get creative with financing. And that seller financing course encompasses subject to deals, owner-held financing, buying on lease option, buying on land contract, all of those things are seller finance types of deals. So study that, your co-remember, so you can come to the creative finance focus group. I hope you're doing that because that's what they talk about. Um, the other, now not every seller can or will finance a property. Some of them just need cash. They're not going to take payments, even if you offer them more money, if they'll take payments. And that brings you around to the other side of the creative finance world, which has to do with third party uh, individuals like private lenders and partners who uh, they 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 want a good return on their money, but they don't want to do work around the property. They don't want to find the deal. They don't want to rehab the deal. They don't want to manage the tenants. They don't want to sell the deal if the deal is to be sold. They just want to put their money in and then get money back out at a reasonable rate of return. Uh, those are folks mostly that honestly you meet at, uh, you meet at Kori, you meet at the, the Friday morning exchange meetings. There's a lot of people on those meetings like offering up money. I've got this money and I need to spend it. Can somebody please find me a good deal that I can partner, make a loan on or something like that. Uh, the question about how the next question is how difficult is it to refinance a rental and how much of it, the refinancing is based on the property and how much on the owner's income? It depends. Is it bigger or smaller than a four family? If it's smaller than a four family, your qualification pretty much 100% depends on your personal income, credit score, assets, etc., the bank will take into account what the projected income from the property is, but particularly if it's vacant, they're not going to pay a lot of attention to that. If it's bigger than a four family, it's almost 100% based on the building itself. Different different departments at the bank. So uh, don't you didn't specify what kind of rental you were talking about. I'm guessing it's probably single families. That means that you're going to have to have good credit and income enough, provable income enough. Uh, to cover those payments in months where the property is vacant. And by the way, banks are being really weird right now. I've heard a couple of 
stories about uh, banks that got into particularly apartment loans, got 90% of the way into the process, qualification had happened. Um, in one case, closing was set, and then the bank came back to the borrower and said, yeah, we're not going to do this at the rate and terms that we talked about before. We need more money up front than we told you we were going to need. So thank you for your question, Olivia. I look forward to being able to see you live again at a co-rebeating someday, someday, and until then, online. We're out of time. Thanks to all the folks who asked questions. Those of you who did not get them answered, there's about three of you. I'm going to put them in the... Uh, save box and answer them during the next question and answer week. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Celebrating 25 years